Here's the why. Why are people gathered in Ottawa and why are people congregating in major cities in Canada? And the why is Canadians are tired of being lied to and now they're taking responsibility to claim their freedom. Um, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, Indian, Chinese, indigenous, vaccinated, unvaccinated. You know, Canada's a very diverse melting pot and everyone is coming together to say no. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi. Now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join BlockFi. They've launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards and every purchase. But if you're interested in finding out more and you do want to take out that bonus, you want to get the $250 in Bitcoin, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it's Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks, there are just too many ways to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you get to distribute into different locations. And this is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. Happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is BCB Group, who provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a bank, a reliable one that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. So I've moved all my business banking across to BCB, and you know what? I could not be happier. It is so nice to finally be dealing with a bank which understands my business and understands Bitcoin and isn't putting hurdles in my way. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. And they also have this amazing fiat network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this. If you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out, then please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, we've got Ledger the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you as a Bitcoiner to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. It's over four years now, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Nick, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, brother. Thanks for doing yeah. this. No, no problem at all. Greg, nice to see you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. I want to give a quick shout out to my buddy. I'm wearing his hat. Uh, Ali yeah. gave a, a great speech to the uh, to the House of uh, Commons Finance Committee, Peter. And he had a five minute opportunity to give a pitch. And he absolutely nailed it. If you haven't seen Ali's little speech to the House of Commons Finance Committee, it was off the charts. And then my other buddy, Sat Street, uh, I think I may have worn this T-shirt on your uh, show before, but Sat Street's a Canadian uh, Bitcoin uh, exchange broker and doing a great job in Canada uh, bringing Bitcoin to the masses. So I'm going to be charging you ad inventory for this stuff now. <laughs> I just need to get some of your uh, Bedford uh, swag, you know, your, uh, your, your soccer team stuff. 
It's coming out soon. Well, listen, Nick, uh, Greg is a good friend of mine. If he tells me I have to talk to somebody, I will talk to them. And obviously, this is a, a really big, really important story. We want to get it out to as many people as possible, but also try and get it in front of people who might help support on the financial side of things. And, you know, you're a Bitcoiner doing some work out there. But I think it's important that we try and explain the story to the people outside of Canada who, well, maybe even inside of Canada who don't know exactly what's going on, on the ground. I'm aware of various details, but I'm not aware of the full details. And I'm certainly not aware of the full background. So let's go back a step. Can you just explain to me how we've got to this point where the truckers are now protesting in Ottawa? Yeah. And thank you for offering your platform, Peter. I think, um, the only way the truth gets out is if people are willing to spread it. And, uh, you know, what you said about people around the world maybe not knowing what's going on and maybe even in Canada, I can tell you right now, I'm a 40-minute walk out of the epicenter of everything that's happening and people in Ottawa don't know what's going on. So this is really important. And, um, yeah, so for anyone listening to this who might not understand sort of what's happening uh, or worse, may have been misled by people who aren't reporting on it honestly, uh, here's the why. Why are people gathered in Ottawa and why are people congregating in major cities in Canada? And the why is Canadians are tired of being lied to and now they're taking responsibility to claim their freedom, right? Um, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, Indian, Chinese, indigenous, vaccinated, unvaccinated. You know, Canada's a very diverse melting pot and everyone at the capital is a Canadian. And everyone is coming together to say no. Essentially, that's really the gist of it. No, no lockdowns, no vax passports, no mandates. You know, Canadians are basically peacefully holding our ground and demanding that the lies stop and that politicians honor, honor the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, right? And, and, you know, based on my life experience, the vast majority of Canadians are peaceful, they're polite, they're hardworking, and they're resilient people, right? We have winter to battle with. Um, and that's not a, an insignificant force, especially here in Ottawa. And more importantly, we know right from wrong. And we're tired of seeing wrong. We're tired of being manipulated and controlled. So we said no. And the way we did that was we peacefully showed up at the doorstep of our politicians. And we're still waiting for them to show up. It's day six and, and waiting for them to show up to address us. And, you know, we have a really reasonable request to be heard, right? And once freedom is restored, we're going to throw a massive party. Everyone's going to go home, get back to work, um, and get back to their lives, right? Get back to living and start the process of sort of healing this country from the past two years. So I don't know if that answers your question, but to me, that's the why. That's why we're here. Well, I've got, a, I've got another question on that, but I will echo uh, your point. I've been to Canada. Uh, it is lovely. I've uh, been to Calgary and I've dr driven up to Vancouver uh, through a salmon arm. I've been drove, driven back, went to Jasper, went to Banff, had, had the most amazing time. I was on my own, traveling on my own, and everywhere I went, everyone was really nice, uh, treated me really well. It, it kind of felt like, <laughs> you might not like this, I, was, I used to call it nice America. Um, and uh, I had the greatest time. And it's indifferent to me. Kid, it says nice. I can't dislike that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no I had, had an amazing time. And uh, I agree with you. Canadian uh, people are very peaceful, very friendly. And uh, to see what uh, you've been subjected to over, I mean, I would say the length of the Trudeau government, but uh, certainly over the uh, last year or two, uh, it seems to be a lot worse than most places. And especially as other places are opening up. Uh, the UK is pretty much completely back open. Uh, the vax mandates for the NHS, I think that they've deferred it and that might not be happening now. Uh, uh, we've seen Denmark open up. So we seem to start to see that the, the power of the people is having an influence. Um, but what I did want to ask is what was the trigger? Because obviously there's been a lot happening in Canada. There's been a lot of lockdowns. Um, what was the trigger that created this protest? Uh, my understanding correct that it was to do with uh, those truckers who were not uh, vaccinated would have to go into quarantine if they traveled across the US border and back. Was that the trigger that kicked this off? Yeah, I think the trigger was just um, the overreach reached, everyone has a line, right? And the overreach reached a point, I'm not sure the exact rule that did that, but the overreach on truckers who essentially make this country work, make every country work, to be quite frank, right? They deliver food to your table. They deliver everything you wear. Every device you use was delivered by a trucker. 
And I think truckers started to realize the power they hold and essentially decided that we are the ones who can actually make this happen. We are the ones who are in charge of the infrastructure for our country to work. And if we show up and say, we refuse to comply with the things you're doing because you're breaching the most fundamental level of Canadian law, which is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. They're blatantly um, ignoring that and um, choosing not to abide by it. And so they were the ones that had the power to do a show of force. Like, I got to tell you, I've talked to a lot of truckers in the past six days, a lot of them. They come from all over the country, um, from all different backgrounds, and they are extremely resilient people. Truckers live out of their trucks. These long haul trucks are prepared for, for with enough supplies. And I, I, you know, I interviewed a couple of truckers in their cab. It's massive. There's like a queen, two levels of queen size bunk beds. They can stay in there for a long time. They have a microwave, they have a fridge. They are able to endure long periods of time on the road. They are the people and they're masters of logistics and coordination and to do something at a scale that actually makes a difference requires massive coordination and an understanding of logistics, right? Like these trucks need to be refueled. They need to get food. They need to get all of the things they need to be able to survive and stay there until we get acknowledged and until these changes happen. So I think it was just, you cross the people who make the country work to a level that is crossing their line. Uh, and a lot of these truckers actually have to stop working. The ones, like I talked to a, a husband and wife, they're 25, they're from Alberta. And the wife is, was a firefighter paramedic. She got fired because they want to have children and she did her research and she can make whatever choice she wants. I honor everyone's choices. And the sentiment here is that everyone can choose what they want. And so she decided to become a trucker with her husband and they do cross-border trucking from California to Alberta. They do produce. They had to stop. They were, they became out of work. So essentially they had their livelihoods taken away from them unless they took a medical procedure that they deemed for themselves not the best thing for their health. And so you have a lot of stories like that where truckers literally had to make a choice. Either I get coerced into this medical procedure or I get to earn a living. And when you force people to do that and when you put them in a corner and the only thing that's left to fight for is their freedom, that's why they all came here. The, um, the, was it, what was it you were referring to, the, the charter? Explain, what was that? Yeah, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is essentially a document that applies to, um, it's a national document that applies to every Canadian. And that's important. It applies to all Canadians equally. Uh, it talks about the freedom of expression, the freedom of religion, uh, the freedom to associate, the freedom to assemble. And I think a really powerful one is the right to travel anywhere in this country anytime, and also the freedom to leave and re-enter the country at any time. And that was a very fundamental, that's a very fundamental document that applies to every Canadian today and has essentially been ignored by politicians. They've chosen not to um, essentially abide by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so, yeah, it's a very powerful document. And I think, you know, there's lawyers, there's a lot of lawyers here today um, and in Ottawa and have been here for the past six days. And essentially everyone understanding what their fundamental rights are is actually very important for us to take responsibility for claiming those rights. Right? Like rights aren't given to us. We must claim them. Um, and knowing what, what our fundamental freedoms and rights are is a big part of being able to assert ourselves um, and take responsibility for claiming those. So yeah, that's, uh, that's been a really big part of this whole thing um, is really like the law and the Canadian Charter of Rights is on our side. We are here to make sure our politicians are held accountable uh, to that and stop breaching it. Greg, how how much overreach has there been from the government? And and explain to me the geography of Canada because it is obviously distributed into different regions. Uh, and how much autonomy do, does each region have? Great question, Peter. So first of all, Canada can best be described as a ribbon that's uh, five thousand kilometers long and essentially about two hundred kilometers thick, if you will, because ninety percent of our population lives within a hundred kilometers of the US border. Okay, so think of Canada as actually being a country that the entire population is a ribbon that, uh, you know, it goes from West Coast to East Coast Canada. You've traveled from Calgary to Vancouver. You, you went from Alberta, the province of Alberta to the province of uh, British Columbia. I'm not sure if you went to any other provinces, but we have Western Canada, which is uh, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, 
And then you have Central Canada, which is uh, Ontario, Quebec. And then you have East Coast Canada, which are the uh, maritime provinces. And if you just go through the maritime provinces are Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland, where John Vallis is from. All right. So the great uh, the great Canadian uh, John Vallis is from the absolute East Coast. Um, And so what do we have? We have major cities. Firstly, it's not Canada is not vertically integrated like the United States is. So the United States is vertically integrated and horizontally integrated. Canada is not even horizontally integrated because we have large populations that reside around the major cities. So the major cities in central Canada are Toronto in Ontario and the greater Toronto area has a population that rivals Chicago. Okay. And then Montreal is in the top 10 cities in North America. That's the Quebec's, uh, the, the uh, major city in, in uh, Quebec. And it too, both those cities are literally, I can drive from where I live to the U.S. border in 30 minutes. When I lived in Montreal, I could drive to the upstate New York in 30 minutes. So there, there's two examples of major cities that are within 100 kilometers of the United States border. And then it's the same thing with Calgary, um, not Edmonton, but Vancouver, certainly. Vancouver's a stone's throw away from uh, the U.S. border and uh, Seattle. Um, and so that's our country. Now, there are regional differences. Um, it's not surprising to me that this protest was organized out of Western Canada to begin with. I'm not sure how Nick feels, but uh, uh, I think that it's, uh, it's telling because the, the Western Canadians, firstly, they, they don't like being ruled generally by the central provinces. Elections are basically decided before the Western Canada even gets to vote. Because it's essentially the cities of Toronto and Montreal who decide the federal election. And by the time the the polling closes uh, at uh, Manitoba border, uh, it's generally decided. The election is already over. Poor people out west are like, why did I even go vote then? Because it's, you know, the the, the decision gets made generally in the greater Toronto area. Uh, It's called the GTA. So the GTA and there's ridings there that basically decide the outcome of elections. So Western Canada is not happy with the centralized Ottawa policies. Uh, Historic Ottawa policies have included things like the um, uh, Energy Act, which required uh, Western Canadian energy to be distributed to the rest of Canada at below market prices. That was done by uh, Red Ed Clark, who was working for uh, Pierre Trudeau at the time. Interesting, right? Trudeau and Trudeau. And so there's the, the Western Canadians not happy historically. The energy po- uh, provinces of Alberta, a uh, little bit Saskatchewan, but most of our energy is in Alberta and northern British Columbia. The, they're not happy with the, um, with the central Ottawa policies. And then the French Canadians mostly live in the Quebec area, uh, Quebec province area. And so there's a French-English divide that takes place. So we are a pretty, uh, you know, we're, we're an interesting setup. And then it's not surprising that we get people who are uh, not always seeing eye to eye. Final thing to remember, Peter, the population of the entire country of Canada, the second largest landmass in the world, the population of Canada is less than the population of California. Yet we are a G7 country. We take our freedoms very seriously. And I think they just got pushed a little too far. This is Canadian, Nick, I think, because it's happening in the wintertime. The temperature I need to describe to you, Peter, is minus 20 degrees Celsius. Okay, it is not warm. I mean, this is cold. It's when you walk on the snow, it squeaks under your feet. That's how I always knew it was cold growing up is when the snow starts squeaking under your feet you know that it's like zero degrees Fahrenheit. It's, it's when it's cold. And, you know, this is being done the Canadian way. People out on overpasses waving the Canadian flags in sub-zero Fahrenheit temperatures. It's actually a thing of beauty. And some of these, I will tell you honestly, some of these videos have made me cry 
as a Canadian, how proud I am to see these people standing up for our rights and freedoms as a, as a father who's got three kids. I mean, thank you to the truckers. That's all I can say. Yeah. When I was uh, in Canada at that time, I met a guy who was, uh, he, he, his job was to work in Northern Canada on the, one of the oil uh, refineries and he was an engineer who has to spend his time outside but every time he went outside he would tell me there's a limited amount of time he can go out otherwise his eyes would freeze over <laughs> well here's I don't know how Nick tells if it's cold but the way I also tell it's cold is when you inhale through your nose you can actually feel your nose hair freezing okay so you generally breathe through your mouth because you don't want your nose hair to uh, to get frozen solid um, Canada warms up nicely in the summertime. I don't think this protest would be uh, as effective in the summer as it is in the winter because there's an expression. Canadians are nice except on the ice, okay? We're nice until we get on a hockey, in a hockey rink, and then we can be some of the most ornery people you've ever met. Um, well, this is happening on an outdoor ice hockey rink as far as I'm concerned. These are some really beautiful pictures of people dancing in the streets, Nick will tell you, um, you know, some of the video that he shot, but uh, zero arrests. I need to focus people on this fact. Zero arrests. I grew up in Montreal. Montreal is a really good hockey, uh, hockey city. Um, but let me tell you, Montreal regularly riots as a city if the Montreal Canadiens lose in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Literally, people go out and loot stores, fires. I see people jumping on top of cars, parked cars in the routes. I've seen four riots in Montreal in my life. This is the best protest I have ever seen. No looting, people cleaning up statues. I know Nick has helped do that. This is respect, and uh, I'm a very proud Canadian. I was losing that pride. I think I might have told you on some of your podcasts. Yeah, I would consider moving to El Salvador. Mm. Now I'm now I'm regaining my Canadian pride, and it's all through guys like Nick, through my buddy Ali, an Egyptian immigrant, got nine stores, accepts Bitcoin. You know his whole uh, shtick, and it's not a shtick. It's absolutely a thing of beauty, and he, here's what Ali knew. His father was a math teacher in Egypt. Isn't that crazy? And his father lost half their life savings during the Egyptian, uh, was it called the Egyptian summer or whatever that protest was where the banks went in and basically devalued the Egyptian currency by 50%. And uh, the something uprising, the- uh, uh, Arab, Arab Spring. Spring. Arab Spring, Arab Spring. Okay, so the he's, he's seen it real life and he came to Canada to start his new life and I couldn't be more proud to have Ali as a friend. Uh, Nick and I have never met in person but I was on his podcast and everything happens for a reason, Peter. I was on Nick's podcast because Nick is the guy, I'm not sure if you know this, that was walking around with a sign that said, okay, here's the funny thing. I'm like, damn, that's my man. Because I've only seen him on video. And then I was able to put two and two together when I saw this opt out by Bitcoin. And so now Nick and I and Jeff Booth are involved in this uh, in this effort to um, uh, bring Bitcoin to the truckers because the GoFundMe. Well, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick, can you explain to me uh, the range of um, uh, legislative changes that the government's put in place with regards to COVID, where we are with in terms of kids in school, masks, uh, passports, and also mandates. Who has been mandated that they must be vaccinated? One thing I'd like to talk about, Peter, just before we get into that, is um, sort of drawing a line and a distinction between uh, a protest and nonviolent resistance. Because what I'm witnessing firsthand here in Ottawa, and I'm there every day, uh, is the power of effective nonviolent resistance. And I think it's fundamentally different um, than street protests, right? And it's a very important distinction to make because protests are a really good way to show people that you want change, um, but they don't actually create change alone, especially not at a fundamental level. Um, and, you know, the reality is that people in power don't give you what you want if you ask for it nicely or if you make loud noises, right? 
nonviolent resistance works by essentially obliterating an opponent, right? Not physically, but by identifying the elements that give the opponent power and allow them to survive and then denying those sources of power. And the sources of power that our politicians have is the media, um, is, you know, they need to be respected and trusted. They need a functioning economy, which is their proof of work that they're actually doing their job. And so when you take those away, when you show the lies that are being said in the media firsthand by people taking back control of the media, and this is very, one of the most beautiful things is how aligned people are at this gathering, which is less of a protest and more of a celebration of freedom, but really at its core is a nonviolent form of resistance. Um, when you take away the trust in your politicians by essentially showing how blatant the lies are, when you take away their economy, and let's get one thing straight, farmers grow food that feed the humans of this country. Truckers actually bring everything to people of the country. And so if you have those two groups of of people that are saying enough's enough and actually take a stand, you don't have an economy. Um, and, you know, I, I, I won't forget one of the truckers was asked, how long are you ready to stay? Or how long do you think Justin Trudeau will take to change his mind? And the trucker said, when he doesn't have any food to eat, he'll probably change his mind. And the reality is that that is actually the reality, right? Is that nonviolent struggle is a commitment to taking a stand and it neutralizes a lot of opponent forces, right? Like it neutralizes the military by causing soldiers to defect. Because if the military was called into Ottawa and they saw Canadian families, average people, kids, adults, old people, indigenous people dancing in the streets, whose side do you think the military is going to be on? And so nonviolent struggle disrupts the economy. It disrupts um, the trust that the politicians require to remain in power. And, you know, a really powerful thing is that we're disrupting government propaganda by becoming the media. People are telling the truth. Everyone there has a cell phone in their pocket. And coordinators have been very clear that if you see something that doesn't sit right or that doesn't align with love, honor, and respect, you film it and you call the police. And there are police there and the police are there to protect Canadians to make sure that this is peaceful. And what Greg said about no arrest can't be understated. Like the chief of police in Ottawa said, I've never actually seen anything of this scale and of this breed before, right? There were hundreds of thousands of people 24 hours a day for two days straight in a confined space, music, noise, celebration. Sure, there's beer and there's pot. They had less arrests in that period of time than they have on average in Ottawa. The streets had no garbage on them despite the city turning its back and not supporting this. There was snowed clear from every sidewalk in the downtown core, despite the city not helping with that. So I think this whole idea that nonviolent resistance and actually works, right? Like the women's movement was about nonviolent res resistance. This has been used in the past. Um, and essentially, instead of asking things to change and, and asking for our freedoms back, we're giving politicians no choice. That's the strategy. Um, and it's a pretty complex form of military warfare, despite it not being physically violent and having no bloodshed, um, with a clear objective and consensus among everyone, which is we're here until we're, we claim our freedoms back. Um, this may have been sparked by truckers, but what I'm seeing is people migrating into the capital to support the truckers and to support this movement themselves. Right. This is beyond this has transcended vaccines. This has transcended truckers. To be quite frank, I think this has transcended Canada. Um, and essentially, it's people taking a stand and taking responsibility for claiming the freedom that should never have been taken away. Yeah, you say this and then I read the Justin Trudeau tweet today in the House. Members of Parliament unanimously condemn the anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism, homophobia and transphobia that we've seen on display in Ottawa over the past number of days. Together, let's keep working to make Canada more inclusive. I did my research. All I found was one Nazi flag and I'm pretty sure they were using that flag to tell Trudeau he's a Nazi. You're correct. And all I can all I can speak for is what I'm seeing with my own two eyes from my own experience. I have been in Ottawa. I do uh, up until a day, up until yesterday, I was doing two shifts a day, a morning shift and an evening shift. They were both four hours. And all I was doing was exploring and hovering as much as I could and just observing. I wanted to really take in as much as I could instead of being sort of like sucked into the experience. I wanted to observe it. I didn't see anything that resembles racism, anything that resembles violence or hate. The only place I've seen that from is from the person claiming to lead our country, who, by the way, has been blackfaced more times than he can remember. Mm -hmm. I know. 
it's getting so obvious. Like, it's beautiful to watch him cancel himself in real time because the cognitive dissonance amongst all Canadians, when they see the truth, they can't unsee it. <laughs> and that unsettling feeling that you've been lied to starts to get stronger and stronger until people decide enough's enough. I'm tired of being lied to. This has to stop. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now we are well into the football season and you know what? Things are going all right. It's been a pretty good season so far for Liverpool. Tottenham struggling as ever. We always like it that way. Now, if you are interested in football, if you do want to make a bet and if you want to use your Bitcoin, then sportsbet.io is the place to go. But they don't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up is Compass Mining. And Compass aren't just a sponsor. I'm a customer of theirs, and I am mining Bitcoin with them. Do you know I've been mining for over three months with them now? I mined about 0.4 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. I'm going to try and do updates on this every month. But with the price of where Bitcoin is, I'm approaching having, I think, about a third of my mining equipment paid off. I love that I'm mining again, because Compass has made it accessible to anyone as a Bitcoiner to get out there and start mining and contribute to the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded and anyone can do it. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility and Compass does everything else for you. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to start mining, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up today, we have Gemini, who I am now using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And you know what? We're coming up to a year and I've still not sold a single sat through Gemini. I am only buying Bitcoin. I am a hodler. That's all I'm doing. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined training view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is Level, a company finally delivering on the promise of a Bitcoin bank. Yes, a bank on your phone where you can deposit, spend and hold Bitcoin. And you can also do this alongside a traditional dollar checking account. You can deposit your payroll into your account as a US user, and you can even spend your Bitcoin from your account via your MasterCard debit card. I have been testing it out. I've been playing with the app and it is everything I've ever wanted from personal banking and there's so many more updates coming. They've got some big updates coming in February, so keep an eye out for that. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you want to go and check it out, please head over to Level, which is LVL.co, or search for Level, which is LVL, in the Google or Apple app stores. And and sorry to jump on, Peter, you you are aware of Liar.com, right? Have you seen that? Over in, uh, this is epic. Over in Britain? Punch in Liar.com. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Okay, so oh rumor is rumor is Elon Musk owns that. E- Elon Musk owns that. Okay, he also donated forty two thousand oh sixty nine. Uh, so forty two thousand and sixty nine dollars to the GoFundMe page and said liar.com And you know that uh, Elon has his little tag uh, thing. So the four twenty sixty nine is a uh, is a. Uh, a kid's slang about the uh, signature. Anyway, you can look it up as well. Four twenty sixty nine. But uh, rumor was, rumor is that Elon owns that uh, um, uh, URL and um, uh, allocated it to uh, Mr. Trudeau. So, Peter, to answer your question, yeah, about all the different laws and mandates. Uh, to be quite frank, I'm not super familiar on all the different mandates because it does vary provincially. Each province, um, and I think perhaps even each city decides how they implement these mandates. Um, all I can say is that if you go 
to somewhere, if I walk into a place in Ottawa, I'm asked for papers. I'm asked to put a mask on. I'm asked for papers to prove that I've had a certain medical procedure. Um, and so that is being actively enforced. A lot of people aren't allowed to do business. Um, and so it's pretty, it's gotten pretty intense. And the, the most hurtful thing is that these things are all applied without actually uh, any respect for the science, which is freely available and indicates that these are actually harmful things to implement, right? We might not have known about this when it first started, right? Maybe there was a period of time these things were appropriate just out of, uh, from a cautionary perspective, but we are long past that point. The truth is out there. The actual true science, if you listen to the people who are putting out unbiased science says that these are harmful measures and yet they're still being applied. So people are just realizing they're being lied to essentially. Um, you, you're, you're referring to the science of vaccine efficacy and the risks of vaccines. More or less lockdowns. Oh, lockdowns. So yes, that science. Um, and I think, you know, like it, it's fairly, a lot of people understand now, a lot of high level people who are researching this are seeing that lockdowns do not work. The intention is, of saving people, uh, when you actually look at it, second, third, fourth order effects of like, what are suicide rates like? What is alcoholism like? What are What is the, the status of mental health amongst the population? What is the economical damage that gets done when business when businesses collapse or aren't able to actually do their business. So from that perspective, net harm versus net benefit, lockdowns do not work. Um, you know, putting something on your, I, I think the big thing is like, yeah, and it's choice. It's, it's really about choice. If you are afraid for your safety, you can close your business down. If you think vaccines are the best thing for your health, you should be able to get a vaccine. If you don't, you should have the freedom to say, I don't think this is best for me, or I don't think wearing a mask is appropriate for me, for my health. I don't think it's best for me. All we're asking for is everyone should be respected for the choice they make. And everyone, according to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, should be empowered to be able to make the choice for themselves. That's all we're asking for. Yeah, I mean, the information's certainly changed during this last two years, and right. uh, I've had my I've, I've had to check myself. There's things I've thought that I've had to change my mind on. You know, I was sympathetic to early lockdowns when we didn't understand what we were dealing with, and data was coming out of places like Italy. But I think the the it's pretty obvious now that, that there are these second order effects. They are ineffective. I think there, another report came out recently that there was only a 0.02% uh, drop in deaths uh, from lockdowns, but yet they had these all second order effects of it, mental health, uh, rising abuse, uh, rising uh, use of drugs and alcohol, suicide rates. So it seems to me always with these situations is that the politicians, whilst we adapt to new information and we change our course of actions, sometimes the politicians don't want to do that. They want to admit, ah, you know, but perhaps we're wrong. Um, in terms, just specifically on the the passports and the mandate, what what exists with regards to passports within uh, Canada? My, my experience has mainly been only in New York, where every restaurant and uh, bar or club or wherever I want to go into, I, I have to show it. I haven't had that here in LA or anywhere else. Uh, I, I had to have uh, in certain countries. I've had to show my vac. Uh, I am vaccinated, by the way. I've had to show it going into Estonia recently. Uh, but in terms of actual passports, it's only ever really felt like when you're within a country, I've only ever seen that in, in New York. What's the status of like vaccination passports in, in Canada? Well, so this was one of the big contentions of the truckers saying, you know, we refuse to comply with, Pat, with a QR code being our identity and having to show that every time we cross a border. And I can tell you that, you know, before this happened, probably within weeks, of, a couple of weeks before this happening, uh, I was considering going to El Salvador because I wanted to be there on the ground and see what's going on. Um, and I also was getting kind of overwhelmed and run down from, every, from all of the intensity of pressure from politicians um, doing things that I knew weren't right. So I looked into going to El Salvador. I was planning the trip and I quickly realized that I'm not allowed into the Ottawa airport unless I show a QR code basically. And so then it, it became a reality for me right then and there, where I'm not even allowed to leave my country, um, even if I have a medical exemption, even if I have a religious exemption, it doesn't actually matter. Unless I show a QR code that says who I am and that I've had a medical procedure, I wasn't allowed to leave my country. And so all I can say from my experience is that's what we were, we're currently moving towards that and it's being implemented 
was being implemented in real time. And so I think that was a big element where people were like, no, this is wrong. And uh, has the government implemented any uh, uh, career job-based mandates for taking the vaccination, like on health workers or you know, emergency services? All the above. Um, they're just, it's, it's ironic because some people in the Ottawa police force are now being fired for not being vaccinated. People in the military are being fired for not being vaccinated. One really ironic case is that, so our equivalent of the feds in Canada is called the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. <clears throat> There's a squad of RCMP officers that are in charge of prime minister protection. One of those officers, uh, Officer Bulford, was the sniper in charge of prime minister Trudeau's personal protection. He was fired for not being vaccinated. He's now the head of security for the convoy core team. And so you have <laughs> stuff like that where like it's, it's very interesting. We have military. So I've been working to find out how do we, and it's beautiful to watch this because it reminds me a lot about Bitcoin. There's no one running the show and yet everything that needs to be done is getting done. Emergent coordination is just happening amongst an uncoordinated group of people knowing we need to get food to people, we need to get fuel in the trucks, no one's coordinating it, everything is happening. And so you have this effect where people that work for Canada, whether it's military or police officers or um, you know anyone that works for the Canadian government is starting to see the federal government fired all non-vaccinated employees, threatened to fire them. So that tells you something right there. I know a lot of federal government employees that essentially felt very betrayed and were very upset by it. And so they have forced it on, um, they haven't forced it on businesses, but at the federal level um, and at the police and the military level, they are enforcing it. And so I think that's just gonna stimulate a bigger and bigger wave of people saying this isn't right um, and joining the movement to claim our freedom. So it's like, yeah, the, the reaction that comes from imposing really blatantly wrong restrictions on people is simply telling people the truth and showing them that they, they have to make a choice about what they do about it. And if they choose to stand, there's a lot more people standing with them. Okay, I want to know a bit more about the protest in a moment. Greg, um, I've seen people on Twitter lambasting Trudeau for years, yet he still was re-elected in the last election, even though people think he's uh, a fucking moron. Um, these processes do exist. Is there opposition to the... To, well, this... Sorry, uh, let me reframe it. This non-violent resistance exists. Celebration. But are there people... Celebration. Are, are there people who oppose this, who actually support the government? What's the kind of balance within the country? Because I'm assuming it's not 100%. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> Good question. So let's talk uh, mathematics, Peter. You know, that's my favorite. Um, yep. The reality is that only 31% of Canadians that voted supported Trudeau in this re-election campaign. But because of the geography of the uh, electoral map in Canada, uh, the city of Toronto basically elected Trudeau as uh, second as prime minister uh, this past election. It's still a minority government. Uh, but then you even go further. Uh, it was 31 percent of Canadians who voted. But the reality is many Canadians didn't actually vote. So there's arguments that it's actually 20 ish percent of all Canadians support Trudeau. Um this, this is a problem with Canadian politics. Uh, we have three major federal parties without including the French Canadian uh, contingent, which has their own party. So we have uh, a vote uh, gets watered down. And the question then being, uh, who supports Trudeau? Well, he has his supporters. Um, they are people who tend to be uh, woke. Uh, even his, his chief statistician has gone so far as blaming, and this is key. So Trudeau conveniently got COVID, right, last weekend. He's doubly vaxxed and a booster, and he gets COVID and decides it's time for him to uh, go into the um, quarantine. So he quarantines, basically hides, and his chief statistician comes out and, and draws the conclusion himself that Trudeau got COVID because Ontario didn't shut down elementary schools. Now, there's correlation and causation, uh, but this guy decided 
to say that Trudeau getting supposedly getting COVID, which Trudeau did claim got from his son who goes to an elementary school in Ottawa, in, in Ontario, the chief statistician said, oh, it's because they didn't close down the schools that, that Trudeau got the, the, the COVID. Well, there's two things wrong with that. First of all, you cannot possibly draw that conclusion with any type of certainty. And more important, it asks you, you're triply vaxxed. Like, what is the problem with understanding that the science behind it, as Nick uh, as Nick pointed out? So, yes, he has his supporters. Um, they are very liberal. And this is what I need to, uh, to, to stress, having lived in the United States. Um, liberal in Canada is almost like being communist in the United States, okay? Even our most right-leaning Canadians are barely Republicans in the United States. It's a different culture. That's similar in the UK. Yeah. So I've only ever voted conservative and and, uh, a lot of people who listen to my show think I'm a a liberal. In the United States think you're, yeah, 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 that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they they think I'm, I I understand that. Okay, okay. but are, are there people in opposition? Is there opposition to these, this celebration? NDP is the other Canadian political uh, party. They are supporting the liberal viewpoint, basically saying that, you know, yes, it's it's extremists, it's extremism, it's uh, it's the liberal agenda. You know, it's what the liberals are saying. So there's two parties in Canada that are supporting the view that this is being run by right wing extremists. And then predictably, the conservatives in Canada, of which Pierre Poiliev, uh, a friend of mine, a friend of Jeff Booth's, uh, represents that viewpoint. Uh, Pierre hasn't come out in explicit. Well, he certainly he certainly has been on the bridges cheering the uh, the the, uh, the um, convoy. convoy. But uh, you know, it's basically divided down those party lines. Uh, if you're NDP or you are liberal, you support Trudeau and his uh, fear mongering. If you're conservative, Pierre Poilievre yeah, is saying things like freedom over fear. That's where it lines up. Nick, what is the size of this uh, celebration and convoy? Like ha- how many truckers and uh, have made it to Ottawa and ha- how many people have been seen on the streets? That's a really good question. So it's actually really hard to get a sense of scale of this. Um, I'm doing better to collect in- intelligence from all these different people who have a pulse on, on independent areas. Um, what I can say is that over the weekend, there were hundreds of thousands of people downtown Ottawa. More people than I've seen on a Canada Canada Day every year, and that's a massive congregation. Um, what I'm hearing is that for every one truck there is in the city, there's one to two hundred trucks being blocked outside of the city perimeter, waiting to get in. Uh, and it's kind of a losing battle because every time the police blink, every time they put their car just far enough for a truck to come in, a dozen of them will sneak in, and they'll nest in the right places. So the the police and the RCMP are making it very hard for us to accurately get an idea of how many people are coming here because most people are being stopped um, uh, outside of the city, right? Which is quite frustrating because we have, you know, let's say 200 kilometers worth of vehicles. And this, that's an, I've validated that and kind of made sure that that's accurate. 200 kilometers of vehicle would actually shut down several square kilometers of the city of Ottawa, which is actually not safe, right? Like if there's a fire in a building and uh, firefighters or ambulances can't get to the right spot, that's not good. And so they've kind of made this compromise where we need to allow the city to be safe to be in. Um, But what they're not telling people is that they're still stopping trucks. They're shutting down borders. Um, They're stopping truckers from being able to come into the city. Um, But it's a losing battle because the truckers have patience and they have the supply chain to be able to stay there. Um, And what you're seeing in some areas is farmers coming into this. And it's very interesting. Uh, I've witnessed some videos that show the most shocking and beautiful civil disobedience that I've seen. For example, the RCMP created a blockade on the streets of a freeway. Farmers took their massive farm rigs and just went around the blockade. And there was nothing police could do. You have these massive, massive farm rigs that are going and then truckers follow them. And so it's hard to get a sense of scale. This weekend will be very interesting because there's a lot of people. You know, the truckers have endured... The people in Ottawa actually thought this was a checkers game. They made a really bad fault in terms of their strategy. They thought truckers are going to come, we'll shut them down, they'll be gone by Sunday. 
They're building wooden structures. They're building a community kitchen right now in a part of Ottawa, like hard structures. Um, you know, and this is one of these funny stories that this misinformation that went out and they said, people from the protest are stealing food from the homeless. And I haven't been able to validate that. There was no police report to report it. So that's a, you know, it doesn't say it doesn't, didn't happen. But if we can't find any footage or any police report even of this happening, it's like, who knows if it's real? The ironic thing is that not only are truckers inviting the homeless people of Ottawa to come have warm meals, they literally have pizza ovens set up in certain areas. Homeless people are coming, they're getting a warm meal. They're having their backpacks stuffed with food that people from all over Ottawa are donating. And now they're building a community kitchen so that homeless people in Ottawa can eat any time. They're taking better care of Ottawa than Ottawa takes care of itself. And so it's just funny how these things manifest. But I think this weekend is going to be very telling. You know, they thought it was a checkers game. It's a chess game. The truckers settling in over the first three days was moving moving the first pawn. And they knew that, but I don't think the city realized that. I don't think the government realized that. And so this weekend's going to be very telling because a huge, now that the truckers have lasted the first week, which in hard winter temperatures is actually very, very tough. Um, people are coming in from Montreal, Quebec City. I met a guy today on my walk home that came from Newfoundland, drove here from Newfoundland to be here for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And he has to go back on Sunday, but he's here to show support. So people are coming in from all over Canada. It's impossible to get an accurate number of how many people, but all I can say is visually, I've never seen that many people downtown Ottawa in my life. I've lived here for most of my life. I go down there every Canada day and this blew it out of the water and not just people, but semi-trucks. So I don't know if you ever witnessed 18 wheelers up close. They are intimidating, gigantic pieces of machinery. When they honk their, some of these trucks have train horns and it is like to the point where it could do sound damage. Um, or, or damage to people's hearing. So people are actually like bringing earplugs and, you know, if your politicians don't listen, you got to make louder and louder noise. Um, and so air horns are now the sound of freedom, um, which is beautiful. But I think this weekend we'll be telling, uh, I don't know the actual numbers, but I know it's way underreported in terms of what people are saying. And I've never seen this many people in Ottawa before. And I've just been told, I just saw in a Twitter uh, DM, they're organizing a Quebec city where that's where the Houses of Parliament are for the province of Quebec. They're organizing a trucker convoy going into Quebec City tonight. And Toronto this weekend as well. Uh, last weekend, there were protests in Calgary. They weren't convoys. They were actually marches in Calgary. So there's various uh, other. Vancouver had a huge protest. There was a beautiful footage of guys in uh, the Okanagan Valley. Do you remember the Okanagan Valley, Peter? That's what they call that the breadbasket of, uh, you know, it's the equivalent of California for Canada, the Okanagan Valley. Uh, beautiful uh, British Columbia wine country, as well as peach, peaches and everything. They showed a, a convoy going through uh, Okanagan Valley, but it wasn't going to Ottawa. It was just rallying support. This was last weekend. So there's there's the Ottawa City uh, uh, protest, and then there's uh, other uh, various uh, actions in other cities across Canada. Are you seeing, or is it been seen any impact on uh, logistics now and the delivery of food? Are shops or stores running lower on supplies? What's actually happening there? Well, it's very strange because you have a gigantic congregation of peaceful, loving Canadians that are in the downtown core. This could be a boom for Ottawa in terms of hotels, in terms of restaurants. Um, and what's really sad is that the government has essentially, the police and the government have told these businesses to close down in Ottawa and they've said there's too many dangerous people going around. I haven't seen one dangerous person. And so it's weird, but all the businesses are shut down. I can't even tell whether they have food or not because they're not being allowed to open despite people being around that area that would love to go in and support that business. Some businesses are opening and helping people um, that are present, that are coming in from all areas of Ottawa. And those, what's really sad is those businesses are actually being vandalized, right? There was this, the three brothers in Ottawa started sending food to the convoy and, and remaining open. Um, and they had their window broken. And what's funny is that, you know, within hours of that news getting out, the window was repaired and people, just random people paid to cover. I know a guy that gave a hundred dollar bill and said, here's to contribute to fix your window. And everyone, is going there to support that business. And so, you know, I don't know how long it'll take for supply chain issues um, to start to develop, but I don't think it's going to take that long, 
right? Some of the borders from U.S. to Canada. I mean, a lot of our a lot of our produce in the winter, we can't grow stuff here in Canada in the winter, right? We can't grow fruits. We can't grow most vegetables, uh, at least not at a scale that's required to feed Canadians. And at a lot of the Canadian borders, farmers are going and they're parking their giant rigs and they're blocking the border. And they're going to show people how important truckers and farmers are by essentially cutting off the supply chains and letting people see that your politicians don't deliver food to your table. Truckers do. And if you mess with truckers, you mess with the wrong people because they are strong, resilient people and they're the ones who keep this country running. And so it hasn't happened yet. With that said, I've only been in the Ottawa core. I haven't been to um, grocery stores and my family hasn't told me that the grocery store shelves are empty, but they will be eventually. Okay, explain to me, let's talk about the GoFundMe situation because this is probably one of the most disgraceful parts of it. Yeah, so there were a lot of false flags. The first legitimate threat, I believe was yesterday, when GoFundMe actually stopped funds from being able to continue coming in, it's up to $10.1 million Canadian. And it kept gaining steam. Um, And there were lots of rumors that the GoFundMe had been blocked or seized, uh, and they were all false. I have a direct line to one of the core core organizers. There's a lawyer, there's an accountant, there's a bookkeeper overseeing all the disbursements and how this money gets spent. And it was all fine. It was all bullshit, basically, until a couple days ago when they stopped allowing people to donate I'm told that it's simply friction, right? They're creating legal friction where lawyers have to get involved and making it more expensive to be able to get those funds, but the funds are actually not in jeopardy. But I think it's a beautiful example that censorable money is a problem, right? Even if they do get the money, the time, the the 48 hours so far that people haven't been able to continue donating is a massive source of friction. Um, making it really difficult to extract that money is a massive source of friction. So even if the funds are safe, they're still creating huge amounts of resistance. And I think this is really, you know, Bitcoin kind of got the spotlight when the GoFundMe had a serious threat on it and had to get slowed down because it's an an uncensorable pipeline of monetary support that can be sent to support the truckers. And so we're kind of, we've been working on that initiative for a while now and setting things up so that the world can support this movement. And I I think it's a bigger opportunity than what I initially realized, right? Initially, it was like, okay, I'm not going to ask permission. I'm going to set this up. I'm going to let one of the coordinators know what we're doing. And we'll just use this. If I have to rent toilets because a group of truckers need toilets, I will switch it, do like a batch extract, convert to Canadian dollars, pay for toilets. What I'm realizing is that the amount of support from Ottawa um, makes it so that we don't really need resources right now. Um, And so this whole idea that if we can create... Like I, I might be naive or optimistic to say this, but from on the ground, I truly feel this. The truckers are setting Canada free. The truckers are setting the world free because once this first domino falls and the world sees that if you unify and you hold the line because freedom is at stake, you win. The human spirit wins, love wins. Um, when the world realizes the truckers saved us all, having an endowment that's there to support financially any trucker that was involved with spearheading this and maybe even truckers around the world, I think is going to be a beautiful way for humanity to thank the truckers forever for what they did. And so, like I said, maybe that's naive optimism, but the way it looks right now is like, this is a big opportunity for Bitcoin to show what can happen. And on an in-person basis, I'm going around and speaking to truckers and orange pilling individual truckers, um, sending them sats peer to peer, came in from the world of Bitcoin and I'm sending sats to a trucker in person after showing them how to boot up a mobile wallet and understand why we're fighting for physical freedom. This is very important. But without monetary freedom, we actually don't have sustainable freedom. And explaining to them that Bitcoin is the separation of government and money and how the government manipulates money to their benefit to, to maintain power, they start to understand really that this is a fundamental thing. And when I show, when I zap their QR code and money shows up, the hardest money on earth shows up on their phone, their eyes light up like, oh shit, I don't really understand this yet, but that's pretty cool. And I just think the idea of the Bitcoin community being able to peer to peer support truckers. And even if this endowment eventually, you know, every trucker that's going to get money from the GoFundMe has to register. They have to say how long they traveled for, how long they stayed. Like it's all being done very well. If we can literally just disperse directly two truckers based on what their sacrifice was. Uh, and that's what happens with the endowment. That's a pretty special thing because you circumvent all the friction from traditional payment rails, all the fees, all the rent seeking. And you go from an individual. And it's funny because on this tally coin thing that BTC sessions helped us set up, 
you can donate sats with lightning and you can also write a message. The other day I, wrote, I read a message that said, thank you from a doctor in Nigeria. And the fact that a doctor in Nigeria can donate to a pool of funds and I can go and speak to a trucker from Saskatoon who has sacrificed to come here, left his family and sacrificed to come and claim freedom. Um, and the fact that I can take sats directly from a Nigerian doctor and give it to a trucker from Saskatoon is pretty special. And I don't think people understand how insanely innovative and groundbreaking that is, but this is gonna show them. So the best place to go right now, if you go on Twitter, BTC, I've gotta say, full credit to Ben for the branding, the marketing, and setting up all the infrastructure for this. Because my initial setup was, get the blessing of the person in charge and just open up a wallet so that we can start bringing stuff in. And we accumulated a good, like 16 million sats. Um, and then people were saying, we need a lightning rail and we need something set up that's more formal because all I was doing is posting a QR code and like the actual address. So BTC Sessions came up with this beautiful idea of starting a Twitter account called Honk Honk Hodl. And attached to that is a tally coin um, sort of crowdfunding platform. And people can pay on main chain uh, and with lightning and you can attach a message to every donation that you make and they show up. And so honk, honk, hodl, if you go there at the top, you can click the tally coin, you can see the donations page, you can see how much we've raised, um, you can see all the messages that people are streaming and that's the best place to go. So it is set up, it will eventually be a multi-sig with either a lawyer or accountant uh, as one of the multi-sig signatures for the, that's representing the convoy. But for now, it's just let's create a funnel and show the world that Bitcoin is unfuckable money and that when lawyers interfere with people being able to receive funds from the world for a good cause because it can disrupt their power, that Bitcoin doesn't have that problem. Bitcoin fixes that. And uh, Peter, it's Jeff Booth and myself and Ben Sessions who will currently plan to get the multi-sig as well as uh, Nick. So five, five, uh, three of five multi-sig wallet. Uh, and, you know, it, it'll support the truckers, but there's a chance that we would decide, uh, you know, to make reparations to this food uh, shelter, food kitchen, if it was truthfully overrun by uh, uh, the, the crowd of protesters. But we haven't found true, uh, that to be true yet. But certainly that was something where the left, uh, the left was, uh, you know, accusing these uh, violent extremists. Uh, right. So we're, we're uh, I'm glad you came on and talked about this. We're, we're running against a, a time limitation now. Um, Nick, do you want to just close out and uh, get the final messages you want to cross to people? And by the way, you're welcome to come back on in a week or two weeks and update on this anyway. Yeah, I'd love to. And by that point, we'll either be further developments into this strategy game or we'll be free. Either way, it'll be great to come back on and reconnect. I think what I'd like to convey is just a couple things that I'm seeing as a human that's here. And I'm not gonna be able to convey the energy and the atmosphere of what's actually going on, but I'll try and put a few things into words so that people can kind of grasp what's happening. What I'm seeing is people speaking to each other instead of at each other. What I'm seeing is thousands of smiles and proud Canadians that are wrapped in Canadian flags celebrating love, truth, and freedom. I'm watching doctors talking on stages about getting punished and hunted down for writing medical exemptions for people who are truly at risk of being harmed by vaccines because of their current medical status. I'm watching black, Indian, Chinese, indigenous, and white people come together in a peaceful celebration and unity and pride of being Canadian. I'm watching legacy media spread blatant lies and self-cancel themselves in real time, which is beautiful. Um, I'm watching families bring food, handwritten notes, fuel, heaters, uh, and love to supply the trucks and the truckers' hearts. And it's like pretty special, right? I'm watching homeless people be fed by Canadians who have congregated here because this is a sanctuary of freedom. So, you know, I don't think people realize this can't be stopped. Um, it has too much momentum. There's too much steadfast understanding of everyone that when our freedom is at stake, stopping and quitting is actually not an option. And I don't think people fundamentally realize that. I've even heard some truckers talk about how wonderful it's gonna be when summer hits and days are longer. So these people are well-fueled with money um, coming in through the GoFundMe and now through Bitcoin. Um, they're well-fueled in terms of a motivation because their freedom is at stake, right? Like people, I talked to a, a farmer from Alberta yesterday who left his wife, child and farm to travel 3,700 kilometers to be here to sleep in his truck in freezing cold weather 
because the freedom of his family is at risk. So I'm seeing people take responsibility and essentially hold the line, like truly hold the line. And I think what I would get across is that everyone can make that choice. It doesn't matter where you live in Canada or in the world. If everyone says no, it ends. And I think Canada is going to pave the way and prove that it's actually possible to do. It's possible to do free, uh, like peacefully. Um, and it's pe possible to do it with love because freedom is important and we can do this the right way and set a template for the rest of the world to follow. So honk, honk, hodl on Twitter. Uh, my label on Twitter is nobody caribou. And on the bitcoinstoa.com website, if you click 2022, uh, freedom convoy coverage. I do an update every day of very short format bullet point notes of things I'm observing, things I'm seeing, and links to videos um, that I think are, are powerful, are powerful demonstrations of what is actually happening because the truth is not getting out unless we put it out. And uh, Peter, thanks again for giving me space to talk about this and for giving your platform for this because I think it is important for both Bitcoin to show what it can do, but also to the world to show what's possible if we unify. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. You've got the freedom to come back on this whenever you want. Anything I can do to support, let me know. Thanks for coming on, Greg. We'll get this out. We'll get people talking and just reach out if I can do anything. Peace out. Good luck. And I'll, I'll be sending you some sats. Love is going to win, baby. We're doing it. All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.